Have you ever noticed how when someone is a leader, they're much more, you're much more willing to follow them when they're speaking things that are very truthful, very obvious. Dynamic speakers that engage in truth. You know, there was this speaker, this leader, who basically at every turn of his life allowed the Christian parts of his life to come out, allowed the language of Christianity to be what he spoke of. He spoke of the blessings of the Almighty and how the Almighty was working in his life and helping him to see what needed to happen. He ended up moving around in various ways, shapes, and forms talking about history and how history needs to be learned from and we don't want to repeat the errors. Trust me, we're going to go down the right path with this. He had a Bible in his hands that was so tattered because of being read. And he spoke about the strength that he drew from the truth of Scripture. He was a very influential man. His name, Adolf Hitler. Our actions better match our words. What we're here today to actually look at as we go into Galatians chapter 2 is how can we have a consistent heart? It's one thing to say we're reading it. It's one thing to say that God's talking to us. It's one thing to say that we may even believe it. But our actions better start speaking. Or in the end, they way overshadow anything we've ever talked about. The consistent heart. You know, we're in this series called Get to the Heart of the Matter. And as we've been moving through Galatians, we've been talking about this gospel message and being gospel-centered and embracing that with all that we are. This one today is about taking that and making it make a difference in our everyday actions. That's what it's going to be about. How can I live a consistent life with the gospel? Let's take a look at Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 to 21. The ushers are going to be coming forward and they've got some Bibles in their hands. So if you don't have a Bible, we are going to be walking verse by verse through this. Just raise your hands and we'll get a Bible to you, okay? Just raise your hands and we'll get a Bible to you. How do I live consistent with my beliefs? What are some of the key ingredients, the essential ingredients? Ingredient number one, unity. Make your conduct align with your gospel. Unity. Make your conduct align with your gospel. You know, in this passage we're going to be dealing with, Paul is addressing the apostle Peter and a conflict that they had going on. We'll start out right here in verse 11. It says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. But when Cephas came to Antioch, notice how it starts. It starts out with the word, but this contradictory, but connective word, right? So the thing that was going on before it is now being contradicted. What was going on before it? Well, in the prior section here, Paul's saying, Hey, the apostles and I, we actually talked. We were in agreement. The the apostles said, I understand what God's calling you to do, and we're seeing God's handiwork through you. Keep going. He was saying, the apostles have blessed where I was at. Now, what was he doing it for? He was actually talking about the trustworthiness of that gospel message. And he was trying to say, the apostles have condoned what I was talking about. Now he goes one step further. But when Cephas came to Antioch, Peter... I confronted him. He was saying, I want you to understand this. The truth of this gospel I'm carrying, that I'm bearing, it's bigger than the apostles. 
The truth that I'm talking about, you and I must understand this. If an apostle isn't getting it in line, we're going to talk to him. That's how important this is. This truth is God's truth, not the apostles' truth. The apostles might even need to be confronted to be doing it a little better. Let me give you an example. And that's why he put this in here. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. You know, Paul, I mean, his terms are very direct. You know, some would call this a confrontation. Okay, that's probably not a bad term. Opposed to your face sounds a bit like a confrontation, right? As I was reading this week, uh, one of the commentaries called it a carefrontation. Because a confrontation is like, in the end, I don't really give a rip what happens to you. I'm just wanting to tell you you're wrong. I don't know if I totally buy that, but I understand the guy's point. A carefrontation is like, I want to get you to the right spot. Okay, whatever. I thought I'd throw that in there for you. (laughs) Somehow we're softening opposed to his face. I don't know. Okay. Because he stood condemned. I don't think Paul really wanted it softened too much. Do you know what I'm saying? He stood condemned. What do you mean he stood condemned? Well, I mean, it was public. A lot of people saw it. We have tons of witnesses and it was wrong. He stood condemned. Paul, getting ready to go to Peter's face to talk to him about an issue. Well, what's the issue? Verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. He, being Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, they, these other men, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. In other words, Peter is in Antioch, this bustling city of Jew and Gentile all together. And they're interacting and they're moving and they're working together and the gospel is being shared and Gentiles are coming to know Jesus Christ and Peter's on fire and Peter's excited and he's sitting down with these newfound believing brothers in Christ and he's relating to them and he's talking with them and it's been made pretty clear in Acts chapter 10 verses 28 and 29. You know what? Good Jews just don't really associate with Gentiles. That's just the way the Jewish faith was. You don't sit down to meals with Gentiles. That's horrific. There should be a separatist element. That was the Jewish law. And Peter was breaking it. Why? Because he was excited about this gospel message. Because he was amazed that there was a God who was all about life change. And that in the midst of us following the law, it's getting us nowhere. But following after Jesus Christ, trusting and leaning in him, his shed blood forgiving us for our sin. Now that's worth sharing. And I'm going to relate to anybody that will embrace that. Peter was excited about bringing that news to the Gentiles. It was his calling. And he was relating to them. He was fellowshipping with them. He was having dinner with them. He was chatting with them and joking with them. He was seen with the Gentiles. He wanted to be influential and he wanted to watch them be nurtured up. And then this group of people came. These people coming from James. We're not really sure why they came. Were they sent on a mission? Or did they happen to just have hung around with James and they showed up here now? We're not exactly sure why they came. But when they came, we know where they stood. They stood in this group of people who believed that, yes, there's this faith in Jesus Christ. But, but, but you still have to do the law. And so they call them the circumcision party. You better get back and get circumcised. You better start doing what the law says to do. It's not about throwing away the law. It's about Jesus and. That was their message. 
It's about Jesus and. And the problem is, that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is, it's about Jesus only. And Paul was devastated, shocked. He's a church planter. He's been putting together churches that are to be teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now what's just happened is it's become the gospel of Jesus Christ and. Can you hear it? That's a pain. That's a bother. That's an atrocity. And so in the midst of it, he goes, we're going to have to talk about a few things, Peter. You're pulling away. Peter drew back. Now it says he drew back for fear of the circumcision party. Just a little moment here, okay? Fear. Just so you know, we really have two choices in life. We're either going to fear God or we're going to fear man. Okay? We've got a choice. Fear God, fear man. You can wrestle with it. There's really not any more options than that. We're either going to think more about what people think around us and more about what makes them appreciative of us. We're going to try to handle the man thoughts around us or we're going to say, God, what do you want? God, where are you at? We've got one of two choices. So just a few notes here. I put these together this morning, actually, with my wife. Five values to fearing God. Five values to fearing God. Just a little fear note on the side here, all right? Psalm 110, verse 11, the first one. It's the beginning of wisdom. Why fear God? It's the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 110, verse 11. Peter wasn't doing that. He's fearing the circumcision party. Psalm 110, verse 11, beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7 is the second reason to why to fear God. It's the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 1, 7. The third one, Exodus 20, 20, keeps me from sinning. A fear of God keeps me on the right path. Number four, Psalm 25, 14, brings friendship with God. A true fear of him, a true respect of him, a true understanding of who he is and an absolute respect for who he is and honestly, a trembling of being out of line with him really puts us in a spot where we have friendship with him. And then Proverbs 14, 26, it brings strong confidence. That's what we get from fearing God. Wisdom, knowledge, keeping away from sin, a friendship with God and strong confidence. Welcome to fearing God. Fearing man, two costs. Number one, Proverbs 29, 25 says, it sets a snare. A snare, what's that mean? It means it makes it easy to sin. It means your pride, remember the things of the world? Those things that are going to tweak our flesh or our eyes or our pride are going to become very prevalent. We're going to make sure we're always about the look of things. We're going to make sure we're always about the presentation and there sits the snare. It becomes so easy to fall into self-aggrandizing things as you start to worry about what man thinks instead of God. John 12, uh, 42 and 43, it says that the fear of man keeps us from God. It actually puts a distance between us and him. Fear of man versus fear of God. It's a really important thing. We'll probably end up with a sermon series out of it at some point because it is everything when it comes to actions and behaviors. Peter, he had a fear of man, the circumcision party. He was basically saying, I'm not sure what they're going to say. I'm not sure what they're thinking. What if they go and ruin some of my ministry by talking bad about me? What if they, what if I should, maybe I, oh, you know what? I'll just back away. 
And he steps away and he starts hanging out with the circumcision party. And he starts saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to do the things you're saying. I'm going to start executing more of the law. I'm comfortable with it anyway. And he now distances himself from the Gentiles. So we repick it back up here. He's drawn, he's drawn himself away fearing. Verse 13, the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Paul is saying, guys, this is getting to be contagious. It wasn't just one guy picking to do this. Now you've got the whole Jewish clan going with him. And he says, even Barnabas. He's, what he's really saying is, even the guy who's known to have one of the softest hearts for people ended up walking away from people. This thing's going wrong fast. We have everybody headed towards saying division, separation. Yeah, you've got Jesus, but until you've got Jesus and the law, we're not going to be with you. Whoa. Paul's got a major problem with what's happening. God has a major problem with what's happening. The hypocrisy began to be contagious as they followed after. In verse 14, it says, When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said. Please use that as a model. When I saw that it wasn't in step with the truth of the gospel, that's when I said. Okay? He didn't say, I didn't like the what they were wearing. I didn't like, it was my personal subjective opinion, but I stood up and said. He said, I had an absolute measure of right and wrong, and it was absolutely in the wrong. I said. Okay? That's when we need to be in our carefrontations, if you will. When we need to be stepping in with people and sitting down with them and saying, look, Scripture's really clear. There's an obvious right and wrong here. Let's walk through it together. Okay? He said, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, he's saying, hey, you used to be hanging out with the Gentiles, eating with them. You were acting like a Gentile until these guys showed up. How come all of a sudden you're going to this side and saying, you have to come over here and act like us now? You were just, are you wrong here? Or are you wrong here? Pick it. You're wrong. And I'm going to tell you which one is wrong. You're wrong standing here. You need to be willing to have unity in the body. Unity is where it's at. Paul goes hard after this fact. We all stand before Christ in one position. Sinner. We all stand before Christ in one position. In need of a Savior. And we all can be unified in the body. You know, this is a regional church. By pretty much all definitions. We don't all come from one little neighborhood or town. We come from many neighbors and towns all over the place, from across the river, from north, from south, east and west, all different kinds of towns. Some are very rural, farmish towns. Some are a little bit bigger towns. Some is like in, sitting in Peoria, downtown Peoria. We've got a chance to have a variety of intermixing here and a chance to interact not only based on the towns we've come from, but the backgrounds we've got and the educations we've got. We have a choice. We can either start looking with the fear of man and start thinking, how can I impress and what impresses me? Or we can start looking with God's eyes and say, I need a savior and so do you. Welcome to the group. That's our choice. Do me a favor. Look to your left 
and just say to the person sitting next to you, and you're going to have to do this. You know, I do this every time to you. So you're just going to have to look at each other a little bit and just say, you know what? I'm a sinner. I, I am a sinner. Just say that. I'm a sinner. Yeah. Okay. It's confession time. All right. Now look back and say, yeah, I know. Okay. Welcome to the group. All right. We're all in need. Okay. Unity. Just grab hold and let's start living life together. That's what Paul's saying. We all need a savior. Let's live in unity. Gospel-based unity. Let's live caring for each other. Let's live wanting the best for each other. Let's live reaching out to each other, shaking hands with each other, getting each other's names and saying, this is a place that will reflect the very character of God. Oneness. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord our God is one. Ephesians 4. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. One 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 we need to be a body of one if we're going to live the gospel this body we have to reflect unity okay in all that we do but it's more than that we need to reflect unity outside these church walls as well reaching out to other believers in other areas other churches other things going on you know this is a nice spot for a little commercial break we're going to, I'm just going to let you know this, okay? Paul, church planter, he loved planting churches. He was about planting churches. And in the midst of this plan for planting, he was going where God had him go to lift up people who were coming to Christ and help rally a group of people. And that became a celebrating local body, a church. We are a church planting church. Three years ago, this church got planted. And it started from there and we've gone since. Everything we do has planting at the core of it, okay? Even in our small groups that Pastor Kent was talking about. How do we get new small groups? We find leaders within our groups. We raise them up. We get them prepared to lead. We send them out with hopefully a couple of couples with them. And then we wrap more people around them and boom, a new group has been planted. Everything we do is planting within our church here. But we're also about church planting outside, right? We'll be planting small groups, but there's a point where it will go outside our church walls. I just want to let you know that we have a church plant opportunity coming up under the Harvest Fellowship that we're probably going to be able to, in some way, shapes, or form, partner with. And we're not sure what that looks like yet. Jeff, can I ask you to stand? Jeff Schwartz and Trab is here. We have a couple in our body, Jeff and Kim. Jeff's been coming for a couple of months now to Harvest been actually in relationship with the Harvest Fellowship for um, over a year talking through this. And Jeff and Kim are looking to be planting a Harvest Bible Chapel, uh, probably in the Colorado area. That's being looked at still. That's something we're asking you to pray for. Why am I asking Jeff to stand up? Two reasons. Number one is, this is a big deal. And number two is, we're looking to have Jeff be a leader that steps up. And we're wondering if there's people who might want to rally around. Are there couples who are thinking, hey, we were thinking about moving to Colorado. Maybe some singles who are going, hey, I'm open to that. You know, you're laughing, but somebody's sitting here going, I was. I'm not kidding. There are. And so what we're really looking for is we're looking for a few families who might be willing to say, hey, maybe I'm willing to go on this. You know, it could be that it's Jeff and Kim going out. It could be it's Jeff and Kim and four families. We have no idea. But we at least want to let you know that over the next year, that's going to be considered. Jeff, it's probably what time frame you're looking to maybe be down in Colorado. Yeah, so possibly early summer. Be praying. Be praying for Jeff and Kim. Unity. 
not just in our body, but across bodies as well. We're going to be looking to rally with, and I don't know what that all is going to look like. We'll work those kinks out. Thanks, Jeff. You know, if you're thinking, I might be considering Colorado. Let me know. Let Jeff know. We want to get you hooked up, okay? This is a church plant opportunity that has really got neat potential to it. You know, Jeff's got a ministry in the area here, One Heartbeat Ministry. And uh, that ministry is still going to go on in various ways, shapes, and forms. And if you want more details on how, talk to Jeff on that. But uh, that's going to be dovetailed together with the ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel. And they'll be senior pastoring, Lord willing, in the Denver area in Colorado. But we'll see. You know, it's just let's watch for these core teams to be built. And let's see what happens and see who God leads and how he leads. Be praying for that team. Be praying for Jeff and Kim. This is a big year. The year where you're committing to possibly packing bags and moving packing up and going to a place where you don't have core team yet committed. And let's watch God unfold it. That's some big moments. Be praying for Kim. Be praying for Jeff. Be praying for both of them to have a strength and a confidence, but also a real wisdom and discernment on who and how. And let's watch this church plant get underway and let's see what God does. And who knows how we can be a part of that. We'll be talking back and forth. Just so you know, too, Jeff and I are talking a lot. And that's been a neat part of how Jeff's here is working through Aaron and working through the fellowship and just a lot of opportunities. Jeff decided to come over here. And we've been talking about what it means to be a senior at a harvest and how harvest runs and what some of the distinctives are. And we'll be talking a little bit more about that. And there's some training up at the fellowship Jeff's going to be going through. Just a neat opportunity for all of us to rally around this and say, what do you have to do, God? And how do you want us to all participate? unity okay so it's a little commercial break on church planting jeff we appreciate you guys being a part of the body and seriously anybody thinking colorado in any way shape or form talk to jeff talk to me we'd love to get you plugged together all right so that's the first piece unity we better have unity unity within our church walls unity across church boundaries we better be reflecting the oneness of our god in the oneness of our body amen all right that's what that was a weak amen amen All right, let's get along, people, right? That's what he's saying, okay? All right. Point number two, not only unity. Ingredient two, God's grace. Put your faith in Jesus. It's the only way to God. Put your faith in Jesus. It's the only way to God. God's grace. This ingredient is essential. You see, you can end up watering this down. We'll see him do it here in just a second. Verse 15, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. We, Paul's beginning to include himself. Why? Because it makes a stronger argument when you're asking people to accept something. Saying, hey, I'm with you guys. I'm a Jew. I've got the same concerns you do. I understand where you're going with this. Just hang on. Check this out. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Okay. Why does he use that term? What's he saying? All right. Gentile, meaning not in the bloodline of Judaism right? Sinners, meaning not following the law of God. So yeah, the label from a Jewish perspective would be Gentile sinners. And you would usually put a pronoun like those with them. You know what I mean? Those people, the Gentile sinners. That's what he was saying. He's saying, look, I reflect on and I understand what you're saying. Not following the law and not of the bloodline of the Jews, not under our father Abraham. I get it. Yes, very true. But consider this. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. How does someone come? Not by works, but by faith. We know that that's how a person comes, especially a Gentile sinner. Then he says after that, 
So that's how we're justified. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified. Notice he says, we also. You see, what he just did is he very subtly placed the Gentiles in front. They're responding to the very blood of Jesus Christ in relationship with him. And they're being saved. They're responding and finding life in Christ. They're responding and they're being altered for all eternity. And likewise are we. Now we put them subtly behind. Grammatically, okay? And he's saying, we are now all in the same boat. In need of a savior. He basically said, look left and look right and tell them you're a sinner. Okay? Yeah, we can label them Gentile sinner, but let me tell you, we got our issues too, and let's wake up on it, guys. Okay? We all have needs. So he says at the end of it, we have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. By works of the law, no one will be justified. He's simply saying this. The law isn't working for us, is it? And we needed Jesus to get the salvation as well. We're just like they are. Let's stop lifting us up as separate and let's start treating us all the same. Grasp the unity. We all need the blood of Jesus Christ. Lock arms and let's go. You know, uh, let me just do this. Let's make sure we understand the law. Talk to a couple of people, and sometimes the law can get really confusing. I mean, we read 39 books of the Old Testament, and it's all this law stuff, and then all of a sudden we're into all this faith stuff, and what are we actually hearing? And so what a lot of people hear is, there was this plan of being saved by works, and now there's this plan of being saved by faith. The works thing failed, so God scrapped it and came up with a new plan, okay? Not the case. That's not what the storyline is, okay? Here's the storyline, and let's walk it through very carefully, okay? God says in the very beginning, it's all about relationship with me. Come to me. Let's have a relationship. Believe in me. Have faith in me. I will empower you, and you will experience things you have never experienced before. Relationship. It's all about relationship. From Genesis 1 on, it was God relating to man, okay? When we get to the law... It's God basically unfolding and saying, you have a relationship with me, you have faith in me, and I will empower you to be able to do this. This is what you'll be able to do, empowered by me. And the law is what's laid out, like a big circle. What's at the center? Relationship with God, empowered by him. What happened next? Well, the Jews walked in, they saw the laws, plucked the middle right out, dropped it on the ground and threw it away and said, forget about the relationship stuff and the empowerment stuff. And boom, we have a donut, right? And we're right back to our donut problem. And now they're starting to live the law and they're making it all about, I've got to do this. And the problem is, it was all about a relationship with him, an empowerment by him. And this law, it had a different purpose than saying, just own up, just try to be good enough. It wasn't that. Well, then what was it? The law. You might want to even write this down. Hebrews 10.1. It was a shadow of the reality to come. The law. It was wrapped around their relationship with God to be able to say, you wouldn't believe what's coming. 
Yes, right now you have this thing called animal sacrifice and this shed blood element and it's a forgiveness for a moment and you need to again do it tomorrow because it's not covered for a lifetime. I get that. Why? Because it's a shadow of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice to come. You don't get it yet, but there's going to be a sacrifice for all eternity. Once for all, the lamb of God. And this lamb is but a shadow of it. And these calls of a holiness action, this is nothing more than you understanding the character of God and the loftiness of God and the, wow, I can't get to be anything like you, but knowing you personally. That's what it's all about. The law. It was this shadow looking forward of the reality of Jesus to come. Okay? Hebrews 10.1. Now we're told, Hebrews 8.13, that the old is now obsolete because the new has come. This new covenant in Jesus Christ, it makes the old obsolete. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, it basically means this. Why in the world would you have the reality in your hands? As Hebrews 10, 1 talks about, the reality to come is Jesus Christ and a relationship with him and a love action-based relationship with him. Why would you have that and then try to go back to the shadow? Do you see it? The shadow needs to be left in the shadows. Let's hang on to him because the law was pointing forward to him. It's about relationship and life with Christ. That's the purpose of the law. So when we look at things, let me ask you a question. How were people in the Old Testament saved? Anybody have an answer? By faith. Okay. They were saved by faith. What they were not saved by was they did every good work possible and checked all the lists. And when they made mistakes, they sacrificed and they just kept doing, doing, doing. And they didn't care about God, but they did, did, did. That wasn't it. It says Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. Romans chapter 4 summarizes that. You know, we actually see in Hebrews 11, this hall of faith. All these Old Testament characters enlisting their faith in him, their faith in him, their faith in him. Faith in God Almighty is what brought them salvation. And you know what? We're told in Romans 3.25, their sins were actually covered by hanging on until the reality came. And then they were covered. What an awesome explanation. Do you see? God's been about faith from the very beginning. He's been about relationship through faith from the very beginning. Everything is about come to him, believe in him, lean on him, let him empower you. Then you can have life with him. That's what it's always been about. Yeah, there was the law thing. It was a shadow of things to come. Now we have Jesus Christ in the full. May we embrace him fully, totally excitedly and completely and may we understand that as we embrace him and have life with him the only reason we have that life god's grace welcome to the essential ingredient number two it's not christ and it's christ alone like we just got done singing god's grace relationship with him okay an analogy so yesterday i'm sitting on the couch and my daughter comes up and jumps on my lap and turns around and she's facing me. And I'm, I don't know what I was humming, but I started humming something. And she apparently didn't like what I was humming. So she reached out and she grabbed my nose. <laughs> Did you know you can't hum with your nose closed? I never knew that. Did you know that? And everybody's like, I don't believe them. Try it. Seriously, try it. You can't do it. <laughs> try it. Seriously, try it. I know you feel stupid. Try it. <laughs> you can't. 
But you know what? You don't believe it till you try. Welcome to the law. You can be saved through the law. You can't. Try it. It doesn't work. And that's all Paul's saying. It's like humming with your nose closed. It works. The analogy works, okay? It's like humming with your nose closed. You don't believe it till you try it, but it doesn't work, okay? Christ alone. You got to go after him. God's grace. Him alone. That's what it's about, okay? God's grace. Question for you. Are you leaning on him with all you got? Is it a relationship with him you're going after? Or have you started looking at the checklists? Are you going back to the donut? Forget about the daily moral to-do lists and start thinking relationship with God Almighty. Being with him. Hearing from him. Pleasing him. Laughing with him. Seeing from his scripture what he has to teach you. Responding to him. Relationship with him. It's life-altering. And it's all-empowering. And there is no other way to be with Jesus than that centered relationship with him, trusting in all that he's done for us on the cross. First, unity. Second, God's grace. And then the third piece, the third uh, ingredient, Christ's sacrifice. Live by faith in the Son of God. Live by faith in the Son of God. If you look in verse 17 here, he says, but... If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. I got to tell you, I spent a long time on this verse this week. This is really not a very clear verse. Uh, I wasn't exactly sure in what way he was going. The best thing I can come up with from this is most likely there was an argument being made about Paul and about his claim that you don't follow the law. And that claim was... You are making Christ a sinner. If you are making people be saved through Jesus and all of a sudden stop doing the law, now they're sinning. And all of a sudden, Christ's become an agent of sin. And Paul says, what a joke. Certainly not. Jesus isn't made a sinner. We're made a sinner. You know why? Let me tell you why. Comes up right after it. For if I rebuild what I tore down, you know, the law and trying to follow the law and do things through the law, I prove myself to be the transgressor. You hear it? He's saying, look, the sin is in taking what was but a shadow and trying to make it the all. The hope, the truth, the vastness is grabbing onto our holy Savior who has sacrificed his all for us. It's relationship with him and it brings unity all by itself. The sin is to say it's that and. The sin is not to say, leave the law behind. It was a vehicle. To help you understand the actual. Please drop the vehicle now. We're moving on. Okay? That's all Paul's saying. Verse 20. Actually, verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. That I might live to God. There was death, there is life. Death to the law, life to Christ. Or death death to Christ, and you can try to have life in the law. It doesn't work. So his example, I am dead to the law. I have life in God. He then moves on. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And this is just a powerful sequence of verses. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ alive in me. Heart transplant. That's what this is all about. It's all about my heart had no pulse, no spiritual heartbeat whatsoever. I was dead. And Christ came in and I was given a heart transplant. And he is now alive in me. And there is a heartbeat and a pulse in me. It's his heartbeat. It's his pulse. It's his power. It's his thoughts. It's his ways. He at work in me. I am now alive to God Almighty. That's the message of hope. Jesus Christ alive in me. Heart transplant. We can know the one who gave himself for us and who loves us. Is what he says here. He loved me and gave himself for me. How does it come about? It says, living by faith in the Son of God. We can walk right past that phrase. He's contrasting it. Not living by works according to the law, but living by faith in the Son of God. Drop it. We're never going to earn the works. It's faith in the Son of God. Embrace it with all you've got. And let's go after him. He's saying simply this. You can have life, but it's Jesus only. That's what you need to grasp. Verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. Once again, probably responding to an attack that was given. He's nullifying the grace of God. What, God's saving you just so that you can end up blown off the law? That's nullifying the grace of God. And he's saying, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Christ died for a purpose. The law doesn't work. Drop it, boys. That's what he's saying. It's simply put, please, this is absolutely recognizing the grace of God and the sacrifice of Christ. Those two ingredients are essential. And it's just that. God alone, him at work in me. And that's it. Leave the rest on the table and let's move forward. We have a chance to be able to walk with our Savior. We have a chance to live in the midst of some tough times. You could be going through a world of hurt right now. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's economic. Maybe it's relational stuff. You're going through things and you have a choice. Fear God, fear man. Live with him. Draw my life through him. Or just start trying to do the only, my, my own view of the right things and just keep trying to crank morally. It's time to live in him. You think back to the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Three guys who were called upon very clearly to just be a little bit wise and do the thing that will save your life. Bow down to these idols and this king and do this other stuff that you don't want to do. But it's just a moment of time and you can save your life. And they said, no. We'll not bow to the idols. We're not going to bow that way. We have one God, and that's who we'll worship. And that's the end of it. Where did they end up? In the fiery furnace. But it wasn't very hot for them. It was the three of them and a fourth figure with them as Jesus Christ joined them. And the four of them walked together through the fiery furnace. That's our example. That's our hope. That's our today that we live according to the sacrifice of Christ and that we allow his transplanted heart in our lives to be the center of us as we walk through our fiery trial. What's your fiery trial? What is it you're going through? 
Get ready to be joined by Christ because you're going to lock arms and say, this is all for you. I want to live for you. I want your sacrifice to mean everything to me. May you be celebrated. May you be honored. Living for him. Everything for him. All of you. Not a little part of you. All of you for him. It's you saying, it's time, Lord. It's time for me to celebrate the gospel at work in me by just turning to you and saying, here you go. Let's live it. Let's live it powerfully. Let's live it passionately. I want you and your transplanted heart into me to be on fire. I want to be empowered to do what I could never do on my own so that you are given glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory as he gets everything of you. Let's pray.